Well, hey, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Woohoo, right? Amen. Yeah. I hope you had a had a good Thanksgiving day and a good time with family and friends and good turkey or whatever it was that you uh, you ate on Thursday and and wow, as Paul said, it is beginning to look like Christmas outside. Wow, who knew? Got up this morning and had no idea <laughs> that that's what was going to be greeting us. And uh, great to have you all here, despite these many inches of snow, right? Come on, folks. This is just the start, right? And uh, great to have you here, and thank you for joining us. Hey, I just want to mention on those deacon nominees, they're there, and in two weeks as we vote with them and the budget, it's just a yes or no vote. But if you have concerns about the budget, ask us. If you have concerns about our nominees, ask them, right? Them, not us, them. You go to them and talk to them and and ask your questions. But uh, we'll be all ready for that in just a couple of weeks. Well, um, it's great to have you here. And uh, as, as we begin to think about this, I opened the text and studying and uh, I looked at the verse, the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 15 and uh, I, I saw wasting time. I saw using time. And no one likes to waste time, right? That's one of those things. There's all kinds of time management gurus and books and seminars and all the rest of it out there for you to take advantage of. I came across a Forbes magazine article. It was entitled, The Top Seven Ways You Are Wasting Your Time. And uh, whether you can relate to some of these or not, I don't know, one or two or all, I hope not. But some of these may be of a help to you. First of all, being disorganized, right? That is not a good way to, to make the most of your time. Uh, procrastinating, whoa, that's a rough one, Right? Not doing when you know you should. Reading the news. You ever spend so much time doing that, all of a sudden you find out you didn't get anything done. But you do know a lot about what's going on, or at least you think you do, right? And uh, how about this one? Scrolling through social media. Whoa! Now there's a great waster of time, right? On and on and on. And before you know it, a half an hour is gone. Gossiping. Huh, that's interesting. Worrying. And then last one, checking email, huh? Things that can waste your time. And as they put this list together, the top seven ways, I'm not sure how uh, strong the research is, but Forbes magazine says it's the truth, so we'll move on. But the older I get, the more I want to make the most of the time that I have, right? Are you with me on that one? You feel that way? Whether you're old or getting old, right? I I hope as we move on in in our lives that we're always concerned about making the most of the time we have because as you know, once it's gone, it's gone. You can't get it back and you can't make it up. You may lose, uh, uh, you may make a poor decision in investment and lose some money. You can earn that back, but time when it's gone, it's gone, and, and I don't want to waste my time. How about you? How are you doing this morning with your time? 
And as again, as I studied through the last verse of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians, I began to, to think a little differently than when I had started. And as I looked at it, I thought, you know, this verse really is not as much about making the most of our time as it is making the most of our life. I really think that's the difference. Making the most of your life. Now you say, well, those two are related. Yes, the time makes up what you do with your life. But the bigger picture is, it's a question of wasting your life. What about a wasted life? I don't know if you've thought much about that. Uh, Thought about what it means to waste your life. Uh, What does a wasted life look like? Can you visualize that? Now, I think it would be interesting if we could somehow project all of the ideas that are going through your heads right now about what a wasted life looks like. If we could put them up on the screens and and see what that is. You might have pictures of um, a prison and the inmates that are there who have wasted their life because of wrong decisions. Or you may have uh, those who, who are alcoholics or addicts, or we could go on and on with those kinds of pictures, right? And, and others that might be similar along the way of what a wasted life looks like. But the more we would dig into that, I think we'd have some accurate pictures, but I, I wonder if we might miss what God thinks. If we might miss what God says a wasted life really is. You know, it's interesting that in our study of 1 Corinthians, in Paul's letter, he tells us what a wasted life is. In fact, back in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, Paul described a wasted life. And this is what he said, if you want to look back there to that or just write these down and check it out later on, verse 13, Paul says, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Notice the last phrase of verse 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Even though only as one escaping through the flames. Now that's a picture of a wasted life. You say, but, but Paul's talking to believers. Paul's talking to those who know Jesus. Paul's talking to those whose sins have been forgiven. Paul's talking to those who are what we would call saved. Yes, a saved life, but nothing to show for it. That's the picture Paul paints in verse 15. If what that individual has done with his life is burned up, he will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. That's the picture, as you've heard so often, of somebody escaping a burning building with nothing more than the clothes on their back. For a believer, at the judgment seat of Christ, that would be the picture 
of a wasted life. A wasted life. Paul has spent 1 Corinthians giving all kinds of help, all kinds of teaching, all kinds of instruction throughout this letter as to how believers should live. And they are told, Paul gives direction about how to live your life in a way that shows that we believe. Yes, shows what we believe, that's true. Our lives ought to be lived in a way that shows what we believe. But it also shows that we believe, that we do know Jesus, that we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Our lives, the way we live, should show that we know Jesus. Is that true? So let me ask you a question. What is it that is bringing success to your life today? What is it that is bringing success to your life today? On, on, on what do you base that decision? What do you believe success entails in your life? What are you doing with your life? Because if Paul is talking about the picture of a wasted life throughout the book, and then he gets here to the, near the end of his letter, and he's talking about how not to waste your life, it would do us well to pay attention or to grab hold of what it is he wants to communicate to us. So 1 Corinthians 15, 58. If you haven't already turned there, open your Bibles with me, please, to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, the very last verse of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And uh, page 802, if you don't have a Bible, would like to follow along underneath the seat in front of you, there should be one close at hand. Please use that. If you need a Bible, that's our gift to you. But page 802, or as you scroll down in your tablet or phone or open your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, and we will be completing chapter 15 as we've called it, rediscovering the resurrection. And Paul has been talking all about the resurrection in chapter 15, and now we finish. So follow with me as I read verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, again, Paul is talking to those who know Jesus. Brothers and sisters, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Listen, as I read through this verse, Paul shares three steps to keep you from wasting your life. Three steps to keep you from wasting your life your life. And we want to look at that here this morning. The first step being, as he says, stand firm. But he begins the verse by saying, therefore. Therefore. In other words, okay, because of what I've just said, certainly all of chapter 15, but as well, I think, the, the whole letter from chapter 1 on to this point. But chapter 15 certainly has, has been teaching about the resurrection He's been teaching, he started in verses 1 to 4 with the gospel. So therefore, because of the gospel, because Jesus was raised from the dead, because we will, as believers, be raised from the dead, 
because death has been defeated, because sin has been defeated, because we have victory through Jesus Christ, because we have been saved. That's what he's saying in chapter 15. That's what he's been saying throughout the whole letter. Because we have been saved, therefore, he says, stand firm. Stand firm. That idea that pictures the matter is settled. We don't need to revisit it. The matter is settled. Do not change. Do stay permanently attached to what you believe. He's talking about chapter 15, those who said, hey, there's no resurrection. And it wasn't that they didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead, but they didn't believe that as believers they would rise from the dead. Just because Jesus did, they didn't think they would. And yet Paul is saying, stand firm in what you believe. Stay attached to that truth. Don't change. The matter is settled. Paul took the whole 15th chapter to prove that to them. To lay the case out before them. Jesus rose from the dead. And therefore we who know Jesus will know that one day... Our bodies will be changed. We will be raised if we've died before Jesus comes again. Or if we're still alive, we will be changed because we'll see him as he is. Now, chapter 10, verse 12. You see, this whole business of standing firm has been one of Paul's battle cries throughout the whole letter of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 10, verse 12, he says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. There was always the challenge. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Back to the beginning of chapter 15, the first two verses. Look what Paul says there. Verse 1, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. Which you received, and look at this, on which you have taken your stand. There it is. That's just what he says in verse 58. Stand firm. Here he's talking about the gospel on which you have taken your stand. Verse 2. By this gospel you are saved. Or we mentioned when we talked about that. He says you are being saved. Yes, you were saved in the past. That's a settled thing. But you're still being saved in the sense of your life is still becoming more like Jesus. That's the areas of sanctification, right? There's the positional, when we are changed from an enemy of God to a child of God, we're saved. But then there's the progressive growth. The part of our lives when we continue to become more like Jesus. That's what he's saying. You are continuing, you are being saved. If, look, verse two, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. If you hold firmly. Again, that's verse 2. At the end of the chapter, in verse 58, he says, stand firm. If you hold firmly. Listen, Paul is not creating doubt about their salvation. 
He's saying you are being saved if you hold firmly. He's not saying, well, there could be a question one day. You might lose that self. And that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about assurance of salvation. He's talking about the reality of your salvation. Are you genuinely, authentically a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ? Or do you know just a little bit to play the part? That's what he's talking about. If you hold firmly to the word. If the gospel has changed your life, it has gripped your heart, it has transformed you from a, again, a child of the devil to a child of God, an enemy of God to a child of God. That's what Paul's saying. And it's the gospel on which we take our stand. And it is the gospel that changes us, that Jesus died on the cross, in our place, for our sins, and we believe by faith we're forgiven, huh? Verse 13 of chapter 16, all the way to the end. We'll get into chapter 16 after the first of the year, but Paul says there as he ends his letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. Paul drills that into the minds and hearts of the believers in Corinth. Stand firm in the faith because it appeared by the way many of the Corinthians were living that they were not standing firm, that they were not holding on to the truth. Even here in chapter 15, they were questioning their own resurrection from the dead as believers, and it was creating problems. But he doesn't say he doesn't say only just stand firm. That's step number 1, but the second step, let nothing move you. Let nothing move you. Number 1, stand firm. Number two, he says as he moves on in verse 58, let nothing move you. Paul continues his emphasis on standing firm. He says, be immovable. That's what he means. He said, nothing must move the Corinthians. Even those false teachers who said that there is no resurrection of the dead. Don't let that move you. That was shaking up some of the believers in the church there. They wondered, well, if that's true, what's going to happen to me when I die? What in the world? And he's saying, don't be moved. Let nothing move you, even those who proclaim that there is no resurrection of the dead. Back in verse 12 is what Paul talked about some of them. You see, the Corinthian believers were fickle. As you read through this letter, he had taught them. Now, there, you say, well, they're only four or five years old in the faith. That's true. Paul was teaching. He spent 18 months there. He brought in Apollos, who was teaching them as well. And they were struggling with what they believed. They were prone to changing. At times, they were flaky. They were constantly, it seemed, shifting what they believed, what they thought without reason from one position to another. Listen, the devil's going to do everything he can 
to convince you that what you believe about God and his word is not true. And in our culture today, the world is saying, now that's a bunch of baloney. And even some of the church today, now I I don't know, maybe I should be careful about, even some of those who claim they're part of the church are changing their position on various aspects of what the Word of God teaches. Why? Well, because it's not as politically correct. It doesn't sound so, mm, that's not the way we should really talk. Uh, Things are a little different, so we're going to change our position. Paul's saying, you got to be immovable. This is God's, well, but it's not culturally the same today as it was back then. There's no question that we have to understand uh, the, all that's going on, right? There's no, we've got to understand what was going on in the first century church in Corinth, but that doesn't mean that we change what we believe because things are changing today. We must let nothing move us from the truth of the gospel The gospel doesn't change. We must get a firm grip on the truth of the resurrection and the gospel and all that Paul talks about here. Colossians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Paul wrote this from prison. This is one of what we call the prison epistles. And look what Paul says. Colossians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. He's saved you is what he said. He's brought you. He changed his opinion about you. And when you by faith believe, you're changing your opinion about Jesus. You're receiving the gift of salvation that came through Christ's physical body. His death on the cross to present you, why did this? To present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Do you realize the devil, one of his names means accuser? The devil, did you know that? The devil is the accuser. Remember the book of Job? Oh, yeah, I it's what, that. It, All right. Good job, Gavin. All right. Adversary accuser. You got it. Yeah. And the devil is out to accuse us before God. But Jesus pleads the blood. No, no, no. They're under the blood. They're forgiven. Their lives are changed. No sin can be put to their account. And that's what we're talking about. Don't be moved. Verse 23. If you continue in your faith. If, again, if you are saved, if you continue in your faith, establish firm, there's that word, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Folks, it's too easy today to just kind of think there's a newer, more modern understanding that we should grab a hold of and just turn our back on what we were taught in the past. Paul talks about that. In his letters, letters to Timothy, 
He says, you hold on, you don't change, knowing whom you've learned it from. You grab hold of the truth because it will save you and change your life and teach you and help you to walk in the way, the right path, and stay on that right path. That's the truth of the Word of God. Do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And finally, here's step number three. Paul says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Now, if you're one of the older generation and you memorized scripture years ago from the King James, you would have memorized this as, as uh, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, right? Always abounding. The idea here is giving, giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Always excelling. That's the idea. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord. To have in an abundance. Be over the top with your effort. Giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Doing everything you can. Jonathan Edwards, who is a great pastor and preacher in New England, years ago, he made a whole bunch of resolutions, personal resolutions in his life about how he was going to live his life for the glory of God. And one of them was this, resolved to live, get this, to live with all my might while I do live. Are you living with all your might today for God and his glory? Or are we just kind of I think as my mom or dad, I don't know which one, used to say dilly-dallying around, right? We give all of our might to a lot of different things, or maybe at least a few things, right? Is our relationship with Jesus Christ one of those things? Oh, we give all kinds of time to family, not saying that's wrong. We give all kinds of time to friends. We give all kinds of time to our jobs. We give all kinds of time to pleasure, right? And again, not saying any of those things are wrong things. They're all in and of themselves good. But how much time are we giving to God? That's what Paul, always give yourselves fully to the work of God with everything you have. As Jonathan Edwards says, resolve to live with all my might while I do live. Oh, well, God expects me to spend time with my family. And after all, I got to work. I mean, I got to put food on the table and clothes on our backs and a roof over our head. I, I got to do that, right? As long as that's not the purpose for our existence. Because the reason we're still here who know Jesus is to fulfill his purpose in our lives. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Giving ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord. What is that? This is a verse that can easily be misunderstood. It's one of those verses that can always be, it has been used. Uh, well, you need to be busy about serving God. That's it. Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It means all of us should be serving God all the time in the church. Well, that, that certainly is a truth. But I don't think that's the emphasis on what Paul's talking about. 
Yeah, we ought always to be serving God without question, but what is that always abounding in the work of the Lord? I think what we're talking about here certainly is first and foremost related to the gospel. That's what Paul started chapter 15 about, the gospel. He says that. This is the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received and in which you've taken your stand. It's the gospel, folks. We need to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Yes, giving out the gospel. I think, too, it also would have to do, and others would say, it has to do with doing whatever contributes to the building up of the church. I, I can't argue with that. But I think the primary emphasis is the work of the gospel because that's what Paul is talking about. That's what he's saying here as it relates to being immovable, standing firm, holding on to the truth of the resurrection, which is directly connected to the gospel, without which there is no gospel. How are we doing with that? Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1, you see, we can go, and, and I hope as we've been going through 1 Corinthians as a whole, that you, you've been making footnotes or arrows or little notes in the margin about the different verses and different chapters in the Bible because Paul talks about these same things over and over again. And in chapter 9 and verse 1, 1 Corinthians, he says this, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? He was talking about his authority as one sent by God to minister to the people there. And then he says this, are you, he's talking to the believers in Corinth, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? What's he talking about? Do you remember way back at the beginning of the year when we started our study in 1 Corinthians and we actually started in Acts chapter 18? Because that's where Paul planted the church in Corinth. He spent a year and a half there building that church, sharing the gospel. And now he's saying to the Corinthian believers, those who got saved when Paul started preaching in Corinth, he says, are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Are you not the proof that God changes lives? My work in the Lord. I shared the gospel and you responded, right? That's what he's talking about. That's the work of the Lord. So what do we do with all this? Well, Paul is telling the Corinthians, and I believe he's telling us too, stand firm. Hold on to what you believe. Let nothing move you, right? Let nothing move you. And then he says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. What's he talking about? What's the whole point of this? We said three steps to make sure we don't waste our life. Let me give you one big step that, that really entails all of these three. And it's simply this. Paul's asking us to be faithful. Be faithful. Hold on to what you believe. Be involved in proclaiming the gospel and watching God use you to change lives. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful.
faithful is what Paul is saying. Why? Because if you are faithful, God will make you fruitful. And I, had, I, I know that truth, but, but I didn't see it like that. If you are faithful, God will make you fruitful. How is God using you? Is he using you in the lives of people? Is he using you in the lives of people who don't know Jesus? If you are faithful, God will make you fruitful. That's what God does. As we faithfully hold on to the truth and live out our lives in keeping with the gospel. Look at it. Look what he says. Because you know, this is the last phrase of verse 58. He's saying, okay, always abandoning in the work of the Lord because you know, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord. What's he talking? That word labor, that's a hard word. Not hard to understand. Hard to do. It's not just work. The word labor there is toil. It's the kind of work that results in weariness. When you, when you say work, but when you say toil, doesn't just the, the word sound harder, right? It does. That's, that's what Paul's saying. He says it's laborious toil. There's even a, a little bit of trouble in that word. Hardship. Ah, I don't want that. And yet that's what God's called us to. That which is our vocational responsibility. What do we mean by that? Well, if you're a dad, your vocation is to be a dad. If you're a mom, a mom. A parent, a parent. That's what God's called you to. And part of that word is that that you do what God's called you to do. It's hard work, but it's productive work when we're faithful. You see, that's God's promise. When we are faithful, God will make us fruitful. That's what he says. Knowing that your labor in the Lord, here it is, is not in vain. It is not useless. It is not worthless. Listen, everything we do in the Lord has meaning and value. Everything. You ever been involved in a ministry of some sort? And uh, you were all excited, you were pumped, you were ready to go, you'd made a lot of plans and preparation and poured all kinds of resources into this ministry, and then you got there and, and maybe a handful of people were there and took advantage of all of that time and effort and resourcing you gave to it, and you go, oh man, that was kind of a waste. No! Why? Because we were faithful. And the promise is, it is not in vain. It is not useless. It is of value. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Galatians 6 and verse 9. You are not wasting your time. And if you are faithful to God, you are not wasting your life. The promise is, it is not in vain. You will be fruitful. Listen, folks, we spend a lot of time. We spend a lot of energy. We spend a lot of effort. We spend a lot of money and resources on a lot of things. 
but are they for God and his glory? Dwight Moody said this. This is a great quote. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. What are you good at? See, there's a lot of things that we could say in a room of this size, many people. We could say, I'm good at this, or I'm good at that. This person's good at that. Somebody's good at something different, and we're good at that. Okay, we succeed at a lot of things. But are we succeeding at things that matter for the glory of God? Are we succeeding for the things that will last that will be revealed by fire that won't be burned up when we stand before the Lord at at the judgment seat of Christ. Our greatest fear ought to be not of failing, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Wow. And I fear sometimes we spend an awful lot of time an awful lot of effort on things that don't really matter. Be faithful and God will make you fruitful. You see, Paul ends chapter 15 here with the challenge to Christian living. He's talking about faithfulness. That, that's, that's, he, he talked about our bodies, and it is our bodies that, that have to be used to accomplish things for God. He's saying be faithful. He said back in chapter 1, you are holy, now live like it. You have been set apart, sanctified by God, now act like it. Remember the statement we've made, God's holy people must become what they already are. We've been saved, we've been changed, we've been made holy. Are we living like we are? Don't waste your life. Be faithful to who God has made you to be. If you know Jesus, be faithful to being a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, as I mentioned already, Paul ties all of what he says in his letter together. And you remember this. Scott preached on this text, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The eating and drinking there, remember? had the food offered to idols and the things that were questionable. That's what that was talking about. This isn't just saying when you sit down at lunch today, make sure you do that to the glory of God when you drink that iced tea, all right? That's not what Paul's talking about here. He was talking about the eating and drinking that was a problem. It was was an issue as to whether or not to eat meat offered to idols. Go back. And study verses, or chapter 8, 9, and 10, and you'll see that. And so what he's saying here, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, he just said, remember, you're there to show the love of Christ to the people around you. 
Don't use your liberty as a license to to cause them to fall into sin. He's saying make sure that you do what you do for the glory of God. What does that mean? We've talked a lot about that. It means to make God look like what he really is. That's what Paul's talking about. Let me close with this verse. Came across um, a book that I'd read years ago, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. Wow. An amazing book. I don't agree with everything John Piper says, but this is phenomenal. This is fantastic. If you ever get a chance to grab hold of it and read it, don't waste your life. And he talked, told a story about how he got involved with the Passion Conference. And if you're not familiar with that, every January down in Atlanta, oh, there's thousands of people that descend on Atlanta and the big stadium there and for a, a Passion Conference. Louis Giglio was the one who put it together. And, and they, they came up with what they called the 268 Declaration. But it came from Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 8. And here's what that verse says. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws or in the way of truth, we wait for you. We wait eagerly. And if you'll go back and read chapters right there, uh, chapters 25, 26, 27, praise to God uh, by the nation of Israel. Yes, we wait eagerly for you. Your name and renown What's that word renown? It means fame and honor. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. Wow. A passion to know God above everything else in life. So what are you good at? What are you passionate about this morning? It needs to be about God. It needs to be about the name and the renown of God. That ought to be the overwhelming desire of our heart. That's what Paul closes chapter 15 with. And simply put, remember this. You only have one life. One life. What are you doing with it? Don't waste it. Paul gives direction. We must passionately pursue the glory of God, making people see God for who he really is when they watch us. Huh? That's the challenge this morning. How are you doing? You only have one life. Don't waste it, Father. This Thanksgiving time of the year, we are thankful for Jesus Christ. We are thankful that you loved us so much that you sent your son, your one and only son, to die on the cross in our place to pay the penalty and the debt that we owed for our sins.
Thank you that you've given us faith to believe. And when we believe and exercise our faith in what Jesus did for us, we are forgiven, we are changed, we are transformed, we are made like Jesus. And we're given a life to make a difference for God on this earth. Oh, God help us. to point people to you. Help people to see Jesus in our lives so that they would then glorify our Father who is in heaven. Thank you, God, for all that we have. Thank you for the freedom that we have. Thank you for this church, for these people. Thank you for your goodness in so many, many ways. God, help us to live our lives in a way that shows that we are saved and that our lives would make a difference for the glory of God, for it's in his name that I pray. Amen.